0: It is a joy to uh, come before you here this morning again and open up the Word of God. Um, We are studying about discipleship. And uh, I said it last week, I said it before, I want to say it again, that if you say you're a Christian, the Bible says you are a disciple. Disciple there's never really been given a distinction between, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not yet a disciple. The Bible says that if we're a believer or a follower, that means you're a disciple. Okay? And the main idea behind being a disciple is to be a learner. That's what the word means, is that you're a learner. I'm glad that you're here this morning. I hope that we... Will learn, and I hope that you will learn. Um, It tends to, you know, be a bit of a pressure on the one uh, giving the message, and uh, we we can get into uh, being sermonizers. But do we have a word from God here today? There's a difference, really. We can come up with a polished outline. We can uh, have great stories or illustrations with it, but do we have a word from God? And there is plenty in the Bible that gives the follower of Jesus a word of encouragement, a word to walk with and a a word to live with. The, The title of this message this morning is The Course of Discipleship. And the course of discipleship implies a lifelong course, a lifelong learning. Most of you know that. But, you know, it is not just a course of learning and discipline, it's a course of blessing. Okay? It's a course of, of trust. It's a course of study. It's a course of diligence, yes. It's a course of correction. Um, if we get to thinking that we don't need that, we don't have the heart of a disciple. We need to have the heart of a disciple and understand we've got to go through those things of saying, this is a course of, of challenge. This is a course of trust. This, it's a course of correction in my life. A course of study, of learning. And I've, I've got to have this as a, of course, okay, determination, if you will. Because I know there's things in my heart and in my life that I need to get rid of, to turn away from. It's about you learning the course that Jesus has for you. And I mentioned last week, there's a tendency that we can separate or divorce ourselves from the idea that I've got all those uh, issues that the Bible gives me about how to live my life. A lot of times I just want to live my life the way I want to live it. I don't want all those um, X's and O's. I don't want all those instructions. I don't want all that stuff added on. Just let me be me. (laughs) And so we need to really submit ourselves to the teaching of scripture you say that you're a believer then let us submit ourselves to the counsel of god's word about what it means to be a believer and a disciple so that we might shine for christ so this morning in particular in specific we shall see that discipleship is about being different than the culture it's about living totally different from what the culture pushes and what the culture stresses and what the culture teaches it's about having Christ transform your life and your very ambitions in life so one simple verse Matthew 6:33 but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. That's our one verse today. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. I can say it 20 Five more times. And you could probably say it too. Are you doing it? Are are we doing it? This is the course of a disciple. And it's interesting. Where it's found is Matthew chapter six. So turn there, Matthew chapter six, verse thirty three. Open your Bible. If you don't have one, grab the one in front of you. They're in the pew. Matthew six thirty three, And the outline that is in your bulletin, you can track along with that. Um, we want to take this and just break it down nice and simply. Three parts. Good three-part sermon. <laughs> but really, what we want more than a three-point sermon is a word from God. Before we get into it, let's pray. Lord, we again uh, recognize that there's so many voices and, and calls uh, distracting us. Lord, in our world, especially in America, um, we've got other things that really pull at our heartstrings. Right now, please help me and each one of us here to hear from you. We ask this humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, one of uh, the greatest, well, I would say the greatest sermon ever given. And Jesus gives some very radical statements in chapter 5. Just turn there really quickly. Look back to chapter 5. He opened his mouth in verse 2 and began to teach them, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you, when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There's the Beatitudes, and that sets the tone for the rest of the sermon. It's like, here's the Magna Carta of the King. And so a verse like Matthew 6.33 can tend to be, oh, just, well, that's a, that's a neat verse. We like that. We've got a song for it and it's really cool. And we've all known it and all that. We, we understand it. But I wonder how much we really understand it and if we understand it within the context of where it's given. So what we have in Matthew 6.33, look at it now is not just a separate little neat saying. It's a result of, here's a a teaching and an instruction that Jesus is in the midst of. And so it's about priorities. Okay? We're all about, what this is all about here is about priorities. And we're going to see how he weaves in the priorities that we typically have in life. Let's start with point number one, seeking first. Okay, seeking first. Uh, letter A is about the premise. It's our premise. In order to seek the kingdom of God, that's what he's saying, it's all about the kingdom of God. Well, if we're going to be seeking the kingdom of God first, you must first what? Bow to the king. You can't seek his kingdom unless you bow to the king. You cannot have a kingdom without a king. And in this passage, Jesus is not telling the hearers how to become a Christian. It's not about how you become a Christian. And I'm talking about Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. He's not talking about how you become a Christian. He's talking about how you behave as a Christian. And that's why it's so radical when we read of the Beatitudes. The you really mean that? Like, mourn? Blessed are those who mourn? I haven't ha- heard that lately in, in our day and age. Blessed are the meek? Oh, come on. You know, everyone knows that you've got to demand your way. And, and you know, you, you grab a hold of life and all of it's gusto, Right? And that's why what Jesus says is radical. It still applies to you and I today. And how often do we see a, a, a total contrast in, in the way the culture is? And so our premise, you, we need to understand this is about bowing to the king first and foremost. But it's also, letter B, about our pursuit The very word seek. Seek first. The kingdom of God. Seek is the idea to actively pursue or to go after. Okay? Um, We've seen that here. You know, some of our young people uh, seeking after uh, a life partner. And, And, you know, that happens. You know? Drawn to attraction to another person. And... The young man seeks the beautiful, wonderful young lady. Other ways that you seek, right? All sorts of ways that we seek and pursue something. And the idea in this word and the way it is in the, the actual language part of it, the understanding there is it's in the present tense and continuous. Continuous present tense. Continue seeking. And so we could say every day of your life, is supposed to be governed by what he says here in verse 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I I have to say, you know, I don't wake up every morning and and remind myself of that. I, I'm more typically drawn to remind myself of what I've got to do, what I've got to accomplish. I got this meeting or that meeting and I, I need to, you know, different things. And so... It's such a, a simple statement, in in Matthew six thirty three. But yet we wake up, and what's our pursuit in the day at hand? What are we really looking forward to? What's your pursuit? Letter C. It's about our priority. So our premise: you gotta bow to the King, to seek the kingdom. Letter B, it's our pursuit. This is what you chase after in life. You're going after it. You're drawn to it. You're going for it. And then letter C, it's our priority. It's not enough to seek Him or pursue Him. You're to seek His kingdom first. And again, here is a a great challenge to us because we're all pretty good at uh, saying, well, you know, uh, Jesus is in the mix somewhere. I love him and I sing and I, I love the, the songs, the spiritual songs and the hymns that we sing. And I love the Lord. But the challenge here is not to just seek him, is to seek him first, his kingdom and his righteousness. It's supposed to be the disciples priority, not merely about, oh, he's there, but about his preeminence, Right. Colossians. Remember the study in Colossians? So along with this, we acknowledge that Jesus wants first of what? First moments in your day. I need to learn and and grow in the idea to wake up and I'm, I'm ready to give him praise. I'm ready to humble myself before him. I'm ready to say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done today. Listen, I remember the days, and probably you do too, you know, car bumper stickers. Oh, that'd be a cool one. I'm thinking this when I'm 16. I don't think that way anymore. But, you know, it's like, why do you plaster the back of your bumper and the back of your trunk with all these bumper stickers? Anyway, one of them was really bad theology. God's my co-pilot. You know what? Jesus does not want to be your co-pilot. But that's how we treat him. He's my co-pilot. He's riding shotgun. Yeah. Bad theology. He's not to be seen as your co-pilot. He's not interested in being any co-anything. A kingdom is where one king rules. And the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Therefore, repent and believe. And so that's, that's the response to the king. Repent and believe. Okay, so that's about seeking first. Challenge ourselves in this. We need to put this before us. Simple verse but do we seek Him first? Number two, seeking first, what? God's kingdom. Seek, number two, seeking first God's kingdom. Letter A, it's about His rule. His rule. As creator, He has the right to rule. <laughs> we do well by recognizing that simple truth. Let Him rule. We, in letting Him rule then submit ourselves and humble ourselves. Look, he's given us Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? So he gave us Jesus as the perfect substitute, the perfect sacrifice. And in Jesus, listen, listen. We have everything. We have everything that you need for life and godliness, That's what Peter tells us in 1 Peter. And why do we go around, you know, grabbing after this and grabbing after that as if we're, I've got to have this. I've got to have this. I, I must have this. No, God's given you everything you need in Christ. And we have His Word. And His Word is perfect. And so the more we're in His Word, letting the Word saturate our thinking and direct our ways. Thy word is a lamp under my feet and a light under my path. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. The word of God is what we need. He's given it to us. We need to walk in faith with what the word says. The word guards us. The word guides us. Jesus is alive. He's alive forevermore. So it's about his rule. Letter B, it's about his control. There's a difference there. Control is now more specific. It's about his influence in my life. If I say that I know the Lord, the idea is that every aspect of my life would be affected. Every department of my life In other words, my home, where my life starts, it's at home. Is Christ in charge there? Is he Lord? Is he in control? My family, my relationships within my family, my personal purity, your personal purity. He wants to make an effect there. He wants to make a great transformation. He wants to change it. And you can't go on in life thinking that you're really okay, especially now that you have Jesus. No, you're not okay, but you're saved now in coming to faith in Christ. You're saved, and that's what makes things worth living for. The more you realize it, as you go on in life, you realize, you know, I am I can say that I've been saved for 30 or 40 years. I don't know what number it is. It doesn't matter how long I've been saved. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved. But a lot of times we think of it in those terms in human relationships. We think, oh, you're, you're old and you're, you're really wise or you're really experienced or whatever. A person can be saved a long time and yet not be growing in their faith which is a bit of a contradiction. Right? If you're old in the faith, you you need to say, it's about right now, right here, right now, about Christ making a change in my life, right here, right now, if I'm 80 or 30 or 90 or whatever age. Does He affect and have control in your life at work? In your ways that you work? Is He in control of how you spend your free time? Is He in control of your bank account? Your finances? And see, again, this is a great challenge to each and every one of us. Because we know how to handle things in a way to kind of keep things at arm's length. Don't get too close to me. You know, I want to I want to maintain control of what I want to maintain control in. So I can do that to you. I, you know, I can say, hey, I'm fine, but don't get too close to me. Don't probe me with questions. I don't want to go there. And same thing with the Lord Jesus. He calls us to account. He calls us to... Walk with Him to seek first His kingdom. And there's going to be more of what He calls us to next week and the next week after that here on Sunday mornings. So it's not going to be real comfortable when it comes time for the message time. I guarantee that. Not that we're saying, oh, we want to make it uncomfortable for you. It's just the way it is with Jesus. So I want to challenge you to keep coming you know, don't, don't bail out saying, well, I don't want to hear that uncomfortable stuff. Come on! Let's do it. It's about us submitting ourselves to who we say we believe in. And so, whether we like it or not, we're all under God's watch. And really, ultimately, we're all under His governing hand, if you will. we're all going to be held accountable for how we live our lives. And here is this instruction, this one simple verse that says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And it's that you begin now, today. You, you do it today. You're not called upon to say, Well, i got to plan out all the days in front of me. No, you don't have another day in front of you till you have it. And so today is the day to say, okay, seek his kingdom first. Seek his righteousness first. So now submit to his rule and reign for your life now. Surrender. Surrender now. Acknowledge that you've been, you know, keeping him at arm's length. Saying at one out of one side of your mouth, I'm a believer, I'm a believer, but then in your lifestyle, keeping him a bit off. A bit distant. Because you want to maintain some comfort zone in yourself. Well, that's not really seeking His kingdom, is it? So we, we sing those songs. I surrender all. And I know. I know. It's like sometimes you, you come into church and say, I'm, I don't know how we sing those kind of songs. Really? Really? Everything? I surrender all? And and some say, ah, that's what Christians are like. You know, they they say one thing, I surrender all. Yeah, sure. (laughs) It's a challenge, isn't it? If we had some skeptics come into our, our meeting, our gathering, and they sat in the back or the front or whatever, and then they watched us during the week. I say, us, me too. They probably have a lot of ammunition to use against us the following week. Why? We need Jesus. We don't need more of my efforts or your efforts. You and I need Jesus and His righteousness. We need His rule and His righteousness. And the more we are in the Word of God and reading it and saying, I I need to memorize this, I need to grow in this, and then live it out, put it on, people are going to say, wow, they show some consistency with this belief thing. They're, They're not talking in this way. They're not acting in this way. They're actually acting in a very kind of Christian way. Okay? So, it's about his rule and his control. And so we need to say let's let's surrender. Let let us do that. Point number 3, seeking first God's righteousness. Seeking first God's righteousness. It is his Perfect and final standard. His righteousness. That's His standard. And so it's about His very character. It's who He is. God is righteous. He is just and holy. He is righteous. And this is what He uses to measure everything by. He uses it to measure you and I. It's it's about... What Romans tells us, we, you know, everyone's a sinner, right? We have fallen short of the glory of God. What's the glory of God? His righteousness, his perfection. And so we fall short of that. But yet this is God's standard. First John verse 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 5, jot that down. First John 1, verse 5 says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is perfect in all his ways. This is the Bible's theme and the emphasis is for you to know God. It's, it's about, it's from cover to cover. It's about God's righteousness. Okay? And Jesus himself says this and look, look just back to Matthew chapter 5 verse 48. You're in Matthew 6, look at the last verse of chapter 5. Jesus is speaking and he says, therefore, in what we've just said, therefore, you are to be perfect. As your heavenly father is perfect. What are you going to do with that now? You can be like the rich young ruler who say, well, I've I've done all these things, Lord. And. We have to realize not a one of us has done all of them in a perfect way. But yet Jesus calls you to be perfect in your life. You going to do that? And we say, no, I can't do that. Well, then you better have one that is perfectly righteous. And that is Jesus. And that's the idea in the theme of the Bible is that. Here's especially in Romans where Romans acknowledges that we are lacking God's righteousness and he gives us Christ's righteousness. See, church is not about perfect people. Church is about a redeemed people. And church is not about this building. Church is about us as a people and we as a people lifting up Jesus because he is our perfect righteousness And through faith, his righteousness is credited to your account. So, letter B this righteousness must be imputed before it is imparted. The righteousness of Christ must be imputed to your account, your individual account. Not your mom's, not your dad's, not your grandmother's, but your account. Before God. These are phrases or uh, quotes from Romans chapter 3. There is none righteous. No, not one. No one seeks God. All have turned away. That's all. Every one of you, myself included. We turned away from God. And no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now, a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known. To which the law and the prophets testify, this righteousness comes from God. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ, to all who believe. So faith is the active agent there, in which you must have faith... To have his righteousness. Faith in Jesus Christ. Abraham, Romans chapter 4. Abraham believed God and it was credited to his... To, I'm sorry, credited to him as righteousness. So Abraham is the, the example here that Paul uses. Abraham wasn't circumcised first... To show his religious works. No. He exercised faith. Faith in Christ. And that is credited. Checked on his account. Imputed. That's the idea behind the word imputed. And to the man who does not work. But trusts God. Who justifies the wicked. His faith is credited as righteous. Now. Do you have faith in Jesus Christ? Everyone look at me. Just look here. You're not raising your hand. You're not nodding your head or shaking your head. You just... Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? If you have, you have perfect righteousness in your life. It's positional and it's supposed to be practical. Okay? So it's not just a a theory in the sky. It's supposed to have a position for you where God looks at you and says, you're you're saved. You're rescued because of Jesus. His righteousness covers you. But now, how are you living practically? How are you living day to day? Okay? So, his righteousness must be imputed before it is imparted. So, when a person responds with faith in Jesus... As his perfect righteous substitute, God justifies that guilty one because of Jesus. You are declared righteous, Romans chapter 5. See, we just walked walked through Romans 3, 4, and 5 to explain. Here's this business about his righteousness. Letter C. Letter C is inward experience is to result in outward expression. Okay, same thing. You claim to know Jesus. You claim to be a believer. So then that righteousness ought to have an outward expression in your life. Is it evident in your behavior? Is it evident in your conduct? Is it evident in your discussions with people, your conversation? I go back to 1 John chapter 1 verse 5-7, through God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. That's His perfect righteousness. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, we're going to claim that here in just a moment. If you partake of communion, you are claiming to have fellowship with the living God. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in darkness. Okay, here's the catch. All of you and I, We walk in darkness from time to time. But is that your habit? Is that your ongoing practice? Then if it is, then there's a big contradiction between what you say you believe and how you behave. So if we claim to have fellowship with Him yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by truth. But if we walk in the light, practice, conduct, behavior... If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. So, it's not just that we are justified, declared righteous, but now God works in us to sanctify us. Jesus now is our sanctification. So He not only calls us to live holy lives, but guess what? He enables you to live a holy life. But here's the thing. A lot of times we just don't trust Him. We we hear that language, but out in the day, out in the field, out in the shop, out in the community, out in the market, we do not trust Him. And we need to trust Him. And for those that do trust him out in the workplace, out in the marketplace, out wherever. All these things shall be added unto you. You're going to find satisfaction in Christ because you're trusting in him out there. He enables us. So one of the key themes in this passage Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Is really about, in the context, it's about difference. Being a difference. Why do you say that? Well, here's why I say that. Look back at verse, chapter 6, verse 19. Look there. Here we go. Chapter 6, verse 19. Do not store up or lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. What's he talking about here? Just money? No, it's more than money. He's talking about the treasures that you have in your life. And it's more than money. It's about, maybe it's about things that you have and possess. Maybe it's also about relationships that you have. Don't treasure things on this earth. Put your perspective, here's your treasures. Lay them up, store them up in heaven. Okay? So how do you handle the treasures in life? There's nothing wrong with being rich. If we're going to talk about money, nothing wrong about being rich. But are are you in bondage to those riches? Are you trapped by that? Or do you have a greater sight for glory for things of eternity let's keep reading real quick okay verse 22 look at verse 22 says the eye is the lamp of the body so then if your eye is clear your whole body will be full of light real quickly here it's about your perspective now and he's gone from saying you know things like about your heart the center of everything of your life to your eye And now he's talking about, here's how you see things. You're seeing things in life. And are you seeing them with Christ at the center of everything? Look at verse 24. Verse 24, look at it. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or wealth. Okay, so it's about devotion. Your your focused devotion on the one true God. What about verse 25? Look at verse 25 and on. For this reason I say to you, don't be worried about your life as to what you will eat, what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you'll put on. Right there, He's given us the priorities that we typically have with life. Okay? What are you going to eat? What are you going to drink? What are you going to wear? Basic issues in life. And you know what? We take those and we seek those things first. And you know what? He said, Jesus says, that's what the Gentiles do. That's what the pagans do. That's what the unbelievers do. That's what they do. You're not that way. That's what he's saying. So, that's why I tell you that one verse, verse 33, Matthew six thirty-three. that's what it's about. It's saying, are you different? Are you different than the Gentiles? The unbelievers? Again, you say you're saved. You say you've been born again. You say, you know the Lord and serve Him. Well, Jesus' call upon a person's life results in being a new creature. It results in being different than the popular culture. And it results in being one slave to one master. And the more that we are encouraging one another with these kind of truths and saying, come on, man, I'm praying for you this week. Or come on, sister. (laughs) I'm praying for you this week. I want to encourage you in the Lord. You know, I know there's some pressure on you here, and I want to be an encouragement. That's where the body of Christ comes in with this as our banner, with this as our theme. But all too often, you know what? It's like I, I just, you know, don't get too close to me. Don't get too close to me. We all can do that. Now, it's, I'm not trying to suggest that you unload every little dark secret in your life to the person next to you in the pew. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we need the encouragement of brothers and sisters as the body of Christ. Okay. So, maintaining these priorities is what he expects from us. We need to maintain here's what we're going to eat, here's what we're going to drink. Here's what we're going to put on and clothe ourselves with, but not to have them own you. Right? Not to have them own you. Never forget, you are saved by what? Jesus, but what we find out in Ephesians chapter 2, we're saved by grace. Never forget, you're saved by grace, not by your works. Never forget that by His grace, it's... Here's how you learn and grow. It's by His grace that you can grow and mature in the faith. And it's by His grace that you make wise decisions and maintain Christ-honoring priorities in your life. I choose to worship our song today. I choose to worship. I choose to surrender. I'm making those choices based on the grace of God in my life. Have you experienced the grace of God in your life? If you have, then you are going to make wise choices that flow right out of that. Here's the grace of God working in my life to surrender, to worship, to serve, to share my faith with others. Now, this last phrase, verse 33. Look at verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now, here's a great opportunity for a word of faith guy to come in and say, and you ought to be healthy wealthy and sparkling because all these things shall be added unto you you just don't have enough faith come on no no we don't go there that's what many tv preachers do if you hear that turn it off get get don't go there it's a it's a pit of teaching word of faith doctrine says you know, God's wanting you to be rich. God's wanting you to be healthy and all that. Well, yeah, it's nice to be healthy. But there's many of us that would say, I, I'm not healthy. I, I've experienced a lot of suffering in my life. Well, so did Job, right? God wants to have us draw near to him. But, so what does this mean? All these things will be added unto you. It's what he's talking about with the necessities of life that we worry about, that we go anxious about. Now, all these things will be added unto you based on what? If you seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. There's the condition. So if you seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as Son of God, as your Savior and the giver to you of His righteousness, then you will get immediate soul satisfaction. It will be... It should be the end of your vain and uh, useless striving. You're striving after stuff of the world. And when you settle down and say, I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness you will indeed find rest and peace for your soul. And it means that in Christ, you have a very different view of these things, food, drink, clothing. Before you lived to eat and drink, before you lived to be seen by your status with your clothing, now you still eat and drink and you clothe yourselves, but you do not live for them. You lived for them once, but now, what a difference. You have a new view of life as a believer. You're seeking His kingdom. And now you ought to be more anxious to know God. So the anxiousness can be shifted to say, I want to know Jesus Christ better. These are thoughts that we need to wrestle with and, and confront ourselves with. Do you see differently? Do people see you differently than the world? Life is really now more like a a pilgrimage. This world is not my home. I'm just uh, passing through. You're a pilgrim. You're a stranger to this world and its philosophy. Let's press on. To seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness.